0: Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. Which diet is better, paleo or vegan? If you watched me star as a coach on ABC television earlier this year, you know that bacon has its benefits. But today, I have one of the best-known plant-based athletes on this show to help us sort it out, our friend and fellow podcaster, Mr. Rich Roll. On this special throwback episode, you'll learn that we have a lot more in common than most people might expect. But first, I wanted to give a very special thanks to all of you who have pitched in to support this show over the years. We've come a very long way. This humble little health show, Fat-Burning Man, now has tens of millions of downloads, ranked as the number one health podcast in more than eight countries around the world, And we couldn't do any of this without you. So just before we move on and get a jump start on the new year, I want to thank you for believing in what we do. If you'd like to lend your support to this free show, simply take a moment to think of someone you know who wants to be at their best, who wants to perform better, to be healthier, to live a little bit longer, to be a little bit happier. And take a second to share this podcast with them. Just tell them a little bit about... This humble show with a silly title called Fat-Burning Man, and hopefully it can help them be better than they are right now. There are a lot of exciting things coming up soon, and we can't wait to share them with everyone who wants to be at the cutting edge. And if you want our newest quick start guide to lose stubborn fat with minimal exercise, listen up. You can get instant access for free. Just head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email so you don't miss a very special New Year's bonus. If you'd like to get a jump start on the new year, get everything you need to rock it right now in our 30-day Fat Loss program. It's a complete package of all of our best digital tools in one place that will help you get lean without counting calories or ridiculous workouts. We've got text, video, and audio. It's a whole e-learning suite, so we can't wait to share this with you. Here's a bit of inspiration that just came in from Matthew in Arizona. He says, Great news. Since my first body composition was done six weeks ago, I've lost 13 pounds of fat and gained one and a half pounds of muscle. Thanks, Abel James, for making the wild diet so easy to follow and for making the recipe so delicious that I'd rather cook than eat out. That's a huge compliment, Matthew. Congratulations to you. Thanks for writing in. And just wait until you try our new power cookies recipe. It's a humdinger. If you're listening right now and you're ready to upgrade your body and life, you can get our 30-day program from the device you're on right now for a $20 discount. Just head to fatburningman.com slash 30 days. That's the number 30, 30, D-A-Y-S, fatburningman.com slash 30 days. You'll get all the tools you need, including a quick start guide, a 30-day fat loss manual, shopping guide, motivation journal, and two 30-day done-for-you meal plans. That's 60 days of meals planned out for you. We put a ton of work into this. And let me just say, we've lost a lot of sleep over making some of these products totally awesome. So we hope you check them out and support this show. No more boring meals and calorie counting wheels. You can get all the goods From the Wild program at fatburningman.com slash 30 days. All right, on to the show with Rich Roll. We talk about how to stick to your nutrition plan when you're eating out or at a friend's house, what alcoholism can teach us about food addiction, and how we get to the truth in a world that's filled with propaganda and bickering. All right, let's go hang out with Rich. All right, folks, today I'm really excited to be here with Rich Roll at the ripe age of 40, Rich rejected the norms of a middle-aged sedentary lifestyle and became one of Men's Fitness Magazine's top 25 fittest men while making a name for himself in the Ultraman competitions. The kicker is that he's done all this while maintaining a vegan lifestyle. How's how's it going, Rich?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me, Abel.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, I know we've been trying to, to get on the horn for a while now. I'm really glad that that you're here. It's super fun. And Whenever I look at the podcast charts for the the top 10, it's always like... <laughs> you and me and Jillian Michaels kicking around there yeah. some, somewhere.
1: We should join. We should join forces so we can finally dethrone her. But I, like I do. That. I think all the time because uh, yeah. I'm, of course, I'm checking the things and I'm like, Ah, oh, Abel is up there again. <laughs> congrats, congrats on the podcast. You're rocking it, man. It's it's very cool.
0: Hey, you too, man. It's like I'm. I love this because so many of us know each other, mm-hmm. and it's it's really cool because it's like. Coopetition is what I heard it called, and I I really like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that the pie is huge. You know, we're not competing against each other, and uh, I love the idea of you know going on each other's shows, and hopefully you'll come on my show, and let's all help each other build our audience. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, we're in a huge healthcare crisis, and there's a lot of people that need help, and so the more you know, people like yourself. That are out there, you know, trying to put out a healthy message and turn people's lives around. Like I'm all for that, and I'm just I'm here to support, you know, what everybody's doing.
0: Yeah, me too. I I really appreciate you saying that. Especially, it's going to be interesting because there were some really hardcore paleo folks who listen to the show, and I've only had a couple of vegans on, but I'm really excited to have you on. My background is that I was vegetarian and and vegan on and off for years, and you had a huge change when you decided to basically make that switch from being sedentary to being one of the 25 fittest men. So can you just describe, I know that a lot of people already know your story, but I'd love for you just to, for those of us who aren't quite familiar with it yet, if you could go through how you made that most ridiculous switch from being sedentary to super fit. Yeah, it's
1: funny. Thanks. I mean looking back on it it all looks like it happened really quickly and sort of like I planned it but that's not sure. really the reality of how it went down I mean it t- you know it took enough it took a couple of years and, and it all just kind of unfolded organically but really what happened was I had been I'd been a swimmer in college I swam at Stanford back in the late 1980s so I'm almost 47 now so we're talking like 88 87 yeah. around then but you know when that was over that was over. And uh, that was, you know, so went the end of my athletic career. And and it was really kind of a career that I felt I never actually realized my potential as an athlete because Mm -hmm. I had a nasty uh, alcoholism habit that kind of undermined my my aspirations at the time that nagged me for the next 10 years. And, And by the time I was 31, I was able to get sober. And I spent the next eight years really trying to repair the wreckage that I had created as a result of my drinking, and so I was very focused on getting back the things that I'd lost, like climbing the corporate ladder. You know, I was a corporate attorney at the time, and um, repairing my relationships and all that stuff. And and you know, the good news is, is I was able to do all of that, and kind of to for from an outside perspective, really in many respects, like achieve what I thought was like the American dream. Yeah. You know, like I I had a good career, I got married, and you know, my wife and I built a house, and. It, it, it all looked good, but inside of me, I still had this like pit, this like hole in my spirit where I felt like I was missing something or I, didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't happy. And I kind of felt like I'd been gypped, like I did everything that I thought or I'd been told my whole life were the things that I needed to do to be happy. And I had to kind of do it twice because I'd lost it, you know, mm-hmm. earlier on. And during the period of this time, I really had overlooked my health and my fitness. Like I was so focused on just, you know. Moving up in the world, that uh, that you know, I was like, I don't have time to work out. Who has time for that? And uh, I, I basically lived off what a friend of mine calls the window diet. Like, if you can roll down your window in the car and they hand it to you, you eat it. Yeah. And that's what I did for years and years and years. And those dietary habits really were formed when I was younger as a swimmer. And I'm like training four hours a day and you can just eat everything in sight and it doesn't matter. And you're kind of like bulletproof because you're 19 years old, right? Sure. Um, sure. And then you know, denial creeps in where I would look in the mirror and I'd still think like, hey, I'm still that fit Stanford swimmer, not really able to see myself as I really was, which was about 50 pounds overweight. I was like 210 pounds by the time I was 39. So I was never like hugely obese. I was never like a candidate for the biggest loser or anything like that, but it was more about like how I felt. Like I was just depressed. I was lethargic. I was a couch potato. I wasn't enthusiastic about anything that was going on in my life. And it all kind of came to a head just before I turned 40, I came home late uh, after working late that night. I stopped at Jack in the Box, picked up a bunch of cheeseburgers, sitting on the couch, watching Law & Order. You know, it's 1 a.m. My family's asleep. My kids are asleep. And I finally make my way up the stairs to go to bed. And I, like, had to I had to pause, like, halfway up, a uh, simple flight of stairs, like, out of breath, winded, sweat on my brow, like, buckled over and, like, tightness in my chest. And I was like, am I, I, I thought – you know, oh my God, like I'm thirty nine, like I have to like I'm winded and you know, I feel tightness in my chest. Am I gonna have a heart attack? Like what is going on? And it really it scared me. You know, it was really scary and heart disease runs in my family. My grandfather, who is my namesake, his name is Richard also had been a champion swimmer in the 1929, 1930s, was captain of the University of Michigan swim team, stayed fit his whole life, never smoked, was never obese, certainly wasn't eating a jack-in-the-box in, you know, 1940 or whatever. Yeah. And he died of a heart attack at age 54. So yeah. mom would always say, like, you've got to be careful. He died when she was still in college, and obviously long before mm-hmm. I was born. So I had this moment where I realized, like, I really needed to make a change, and not just not just like a vague notion of, you know, I really ought to go to the gym or, you know, I really ought to eat better. Um, Because in my experience, like vague ideas like that have never really worked for me. Like I knew I needed to do something very decisive, very specific. And that's the only way that I was able to get get sober, like having this moment of clarity with that. And it was a similar experience where I realized this is another one of those moments where I have a choice, I have a decision, and I really need to act because if I just kind of am lazy about it, The moment will pass and, you know, I'll be back to doing whatever I was doing before happily going along in my denial state. So that was really the beginning. And, you know, it wasn't like I went vegan overnight, like I played around with a bunch of different things. I did a seven day fruit and vegetable juice cleanse. And that was really an eye opening, amazing experience because, you know, I don't know about you, but like, I have like a logical mind and I want to understand the science and like what are the toxins that I'm removing here and that doesn't really make sense and how is drinking juice have anything to do with that. But I sort of set aside my idea of what I thought was right because like my best thinking got me into this predicament. Yeah. So I just opened yeah. up my mind. I said I'm going to try something different and I did that and you know, it was a, an experience in which the first two days I was buckled over on the couch like I couldn't move. I felt like I was back in rehab. but. Mm. By day three, day four, day five, I started to, you know, really feel a lot better. And, you know, by the time I I hit six days, I couldn't believe how good I felt. I couldn't believe that my body could feel so much better in such a short period of time by just changing a few simple things. And it made me realize just how unbelievably resilient the human body is. That after sort of abusing myself with drugs and alcohol and fast food for so long, that. I could feel so dramatically different so quickly. Yeah. So that was the first step.
0: That's that's so cool. And it's such like a, an interesting uh journey as well going from uh something that basically it it seems like and, and correct me if I'm hearing this wrong but you were eating pretty much whatever you wanted to which, yeah. you know, which is what most of us do. Yeah, most most Americans anyway, <laughs> increasingly. Yes. And, and but you've switched to, um, you started with something that's pretty hardcore and you felt terrible at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you started feeling awesome, probably better than you ever had, but making that change, like a lot of people experience that right at the beginning, when they go from eating a bunch of junk to eating something that's better and nourishing their bodies, they, they experience that initial feeling of, Oh my God, I've never felt this great in my life, but for some reason it doesn't stick for them. Yet you've been able wow. to stick to probably the most restrictive diet there is, or one of them, aside from like the cabbage soup diet or e- eating nothing but green fruit or whatever. You've been able to stick with that for a long time now. Like wh- what's the mental shift that happens or, or how do you encourage other people to be able to maintain this lifestyle?
1: Right. I mean, yeah, just to kind of skip ahead. I mean, from the juice cleanse, then I ended up, I played around with vegetarianism and that's a whole story. But then I finally found my way to a plant-based diet and have been on ever, ever since. And I found great results with that and I've never felt better. And I think to answer your question, you know, it's very difficult to change, you know, and most people don't change unless they're in a sufficient amount of pain, like pain is the ultimate motivator, right? I know for myself, like I don't change my habits until I'm in, in enough pain to do so. I happen to be in enough pain to make that change. The way I've been able to stick with it, I think, is a couple things. The first is is that you can't underestimate the power of momentum. Like once you start to make these changes, even if they're small little baby steps towards something bigger, over time that you do create a lot of momentum around that. And the more momentum you have, then it becomes easier to kind of stick with it. I don't look back on, I don't look at what I eat as restrictive at all. Like I relish what I eat. And I've been able to overcome cravings that really held me prisoner to poor choices for a long time. But the way I was able to break those craving cycles was really to weather the uncomfortable storm of freeing myself from them. So Mm -hmm. for example, when I stopped eating meat, that really wasn't, That big of a deal for me. I didn't miss it that much. I didn't have huge cravings. And now, of course, if I smell barbecue or something like that, like I'm a human being, I go, Oh, that's that smells good. You know, that probably tastes pretty good. Cheese was very difficult for me. I had a couple weeks where I had a really hard time like getting off the dairy and the cheese, and also to realize how much dairy is in so much of the foods that we eat, particularly packaged foods and processed foods. So that was, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. Like I had maybe three weeks where it was, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make it, but I was able to like, if there's one thing I understand, it's like how to weather a detox. Like I've done that many times as a, and my struggles with drug addiction and alcohol. So I, that's familiar territory for me. And I knew enough to know if I could get to the other side of that, that I could free myself. And, and now I don't think about it that much. And I think that that's a big thing. Like I know that sort of. Having cheat days is really popular with certain diets, like the slow carb diet or what have you. And and if people can do that, like more power to them. But for me, I just know myself well enough to know that if I was allowed to eat a cheeseburger one day a week, that I would spend my whole week thinking about, you know, what I was going to eat on that cheat day, and I would remain a prisoner to that craving, which would be driving my thinking and my behavior. And so for me, it's just better to let go of it all completely and now I don't really think about it, so I don't think of myself as as depriving myself. Mm -hmm. Can you hear that leaf blower out there? Sorry about that. (laughs) It's all good. So I don't think of myself as depriving myself of any of that and I think the other thing that really has been helpful is another tool that I learned in in recovery which I think is maybe the most important tool which is… To just stay rooted in what you're doing right now. Stay in the present moment. Mm -hmm. What are you going to eat today? What are you going to eat for your next meal? What are you going to eat in your next hour? And focus on just making that next right choice and not worry about, oh my God, you know, I got to go to this work dinner in, in a month and we're going to go to a steakhouse or we're going to go to some place where I can't eat the what I want to eat or I have to go to this bachelor party or whatever it is and you start living in this future event that hasn't occurred yet mm-hmm. and I think that that trips people up it's just like what's in front of you to do right now what's the choice you're going to make in the immediate moment
0: yeah and you figure it out a lot of sticking to a nutritional protocol is being great at improvising and coming up with solutions mm-hmm. on the spot because that always happens like traveling, bachelor parties, right. you know, someone cooks you something that they don't even realize you wouldn't eat in the first place. It's, right. it's just a, it's a vast exercise in trying to figure out what to do right now. But it, and yeah, go ahead. Oh,
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, so yeah. So sometimes you got to plan ahead a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. You just do a little extra preparation, like, oh, I'm gonna be in an airport all day. Like I better bring something to eat with me. Or it's also an exercise in creating healthy boundaries. Like, hey, you know, like if somebody's telling me like I'm at somebody's house and they're gonna say you need to eat this or whatever, like where where is that divining line between you sort of sticking up for yourself and you like doing what somebody else wants you to do because you want them to like you or or what have you? You want to be polite. And how do you navigate that? Politically, so that you don't, you're not like a, you know, you don't end up coming off like a about it, but you're just still sort of being true to what you need for yourself.
0: Right. So how did you do that when you made that shift with tact or was it without tact maybe at the beginning?
1: (laughs) Well, no. I mean, I've been learning. I've been learning as I go, and I still yeah. continue to learn. You know, I don't know that I have all the answers to it, and every day presents new circumstances. I mean, I have the good fortune of living in Los Angeles, where it's pretty easy, and true. you know, everybody's some kooky diet. You know, wherever you go. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and, so and, and, uh, I'm, I'm married. I have four kids. My wife is an amazing cook, and when I got on board with this, she got on board, and she's always coming up with awesome stuff in the kitchen. So that makes it easy. And there's a lot of restaurant options in Los Angeles that make it easy. So I haven't had to kind of suffer through the challenges that somebody who is in, you know, someplace different than where I live has to face. Like if you're in Oklahoma City or somewhere else, it might be a little bit more difficult. And I'm empathetic to that. It's possible. And there's certainly plenty of tools and and online resources to make it easier for you. But, but I also understand that that uh, it does require some, you know, kind of delicate, interpersonal, you know, kind of tip telling at times.
0: Yeah. And shifting gears a little bit, just given the sheer amount of energy that you require to perform at the level of activity that you're at, how do you fuel? What What does a plate or a meal look like for you?
1: Well, it's an interesting question, and it continues to evolve. I would say that, you know, just as a kind of foundational thing that, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, well, you went off and did all these crazy ultra endurance races, you know, despite being on this plant-based diet. My response is always like, no, actually, like, I would have never done this stuff had I not changed my diet. It was the energy that I got from beginning to eat this way that actually gave me the energy and the inspiration to go out and attack these things. I think at the same time, when I, in the first, you know, maybe year, year and a half of eating this way, even though my body was performing really well, I lost the weight. Every, you know, every workout I would get stronger and faster. Like the, the improvements that I were realizing were were remarkable. Still in the back of my mind, I'm think, I had this like doubt. I'm thinking, well, you know, everything's going well in my training, but still, like, you know, I don't know. You know, I've been told my whole life that I need to eat meat to be strong, and I need, you know, dairy for strong bones. And those marketing messages are very, very powerful. And they were, I was kind of at war with that. And so I would go out and I'd get all these supplements, you know, that I would go to, I had my whole, I had a whole cabinet full of supplements and I thought I needed all those things. In the last couple of years, I've been weaning myself off of those to see, are these making any difference? What do I need? What do I don't? And I, and I I don't really take very many supplements at all anymore. I I take a plant-based protein powder occasionally. I take vitamin B12. I take glutamine once in a while, some cordyceps some things like that. But, but I don't do a lot of that. And in terms of what I eat, as I've, developed a greater level of efficiency with my endurance training, the cycling and the running, I've noticed that my appetite has gone down because my body has adapted so well to the mm-hmm. training load, to the volume that I don't need to eat as much as I used to eat when I was in the beginning stages of this journey. So so although my caloric intake is going to be higher than the average person, it's not as high as you might think, even though I'm out training 25 hours a week or what have you. So yeah. bre- breakfast is a, a Vitamix smoothie with... Lots of dark leafy greens and some fruit in there, and maybe some chia seeds or ground flax seeds and some spirulina. You know, it's not. I don't have any one recipe. A lot of times, it's just what I happen to have uh, in the fridge and in the cupboard sure. um, that sure. day. And I that's usually enough to go out and train in the morning. And if I'm doing a long bike ride, then I try to eat whole foods along the way, like some dates or some almond butter or some bananas. And I try to keep it real simple. I try to avoid the sugary gels and the Gatorade drinks and all that kind of stuff. Like, I've, I've really weaned myself off of all of that kind of yeah. thing. And when I get back, it's like just like any other workout. And it depends on how hot it was and how long I went and how the intensity level and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it's this, the principles are the same. You got to replenish your electrolytes. So, I'll have some coconut water and, and some water. I'll make sure I do that right away. I will. And then you got to replenish your glycogen store. So, I'll do another smoothie, and this one will be maybe a little bit more fruit based um, than the one I had in the morning. And then I'll have, you know, maybe an hour later, I'll have some rice with vegetables, or I'll have some lentils, which are high in protein, or some quinoa with vegetables, or a veggie burrito, or, you know, a lentil based veggie burger, or just maybe just a big salad, depending on that. Yeah. and then I'll snack on some nuts throughout the day and some fruit and things like that and I, I basically have like a, a normal dinner as well
0: that's so cool and one thing that that constantly comes up is the amount of love that's lost between the two communities vegans and and paleo people and, and paleo has really subsumed a lot of other movements like farm to table and slow food and even the slow carb diet in a lot of cases, they've kind of gravitated toward that thing. But the the, the running joke that I have is that my diet is seventy percent vegan, and and a lot of <laughs> times it's even more than that. Because it's uh, mm. even though you know a lot of people would say I'm paleoish, it's really it, it's far more about eating real food than any particular dietary paradigm. And what I'm hearing from from the foods that you're eating, I mean, it's it's pretty similar to right. uh, to what we're doing. Why yeah, I mean, is there so a, much love lost?
1: <laughs> it's it's a great I'm glad that you raised it, because if you didn't I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that um, there's a lot of energy behind like let's get the paleo people and the vegans in a room and let them like, you know, fight it out to the death or something like that. And and uh, you know, I've had people trying to push me to do that. You probably have had the same and oh, totally. I don't really find that to be productive or in service to, you know this sort of message that I think either of us is trying to put out and, you know, even within the sort of plant-based community, there are factions beneath that that argue amongst themselves about, you know, should you eat four nuts or six nuts or is coconut oil bad or is it good or the fruitarians and the the no oil and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, and those are all, they're all valid conversations to have, but at times you can lose the forest for the trees and because the truth of the matter is we're in a huge healthcare crisis. Obesity rates are through the roof. One out of every two Americans is going to suffer from heart disease by twenty thirty. Fifty percent of Americans are going to be diabetic or pre-diabetic. Like these, 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 these statistics are insane. And most people are eating at McDonald's. So when guys like you and me start to fight, then all that does is keep people uh, wedded to their poor choices because they say, "Well, these guys can't even get along." You know what's going on. So I think that true paleo. Really has a lot more in common with a vegan diet than people realize. Yeah. I think that there's you know a perversion that occurs with some kind of perspectives on paleo that turn it into this you know sort of bacon fanaticism that mm-hmm. I don't think paleo really is about. You know where we're like suddenly it's about eating bacon for all your meals, and I don't really believe that <laughs> that is that is paleo, but. But, you know, people misinterpret it and then think that that's what they should do every day. And, you know, I think that, that true paleo really is a lot more plant-based than people realize. And I, I yeah. find more value in, you know something like you and I getting getting on the horn like we're doing right now and having a an adult conversation and we may disagree on some of the details here and there but our goal is the same and you know I'm not one to tell you that what you're what you're doing is wrong and you know what I'm doing is agreeing with me and you know I believe in a plant-based message and I think a lot of people are just there's power in just the idea that that people should understand that you can still be a successful athlete on a plant-based diet and for a lot of people that's like radical and revolutionary, you yeah. know? So I understand that, that not everyone is going to want to go plant-based, but if I can go hundred percent plant-based and go off and do some crazy stuff like I've done, that somebody will look at me and go, well, if that guy can do that, then I can at least move, move in that direction, you know, 20% or 50% or what have you.
0: Yeah. I love that. And there is, there is such a big difference between, <laughs> you know, someone who's getting their breakfast from, from Quiznos thinking that it's healthy one of the, whatever they're calling healthy these days—I don't even know—I don't pay attention to that stuff anymore. But whatever the commercials are shouting at you, um, that is just fundamentally different than what most paleo people are eating and what most vegan people are eating. And if you did it in a Venn diagram, there would be so much overlap between those second two groups. Um, but yet, like you said, there's that infighting, and and even a lot of the the leaders as well are, are somewhat guilty of this. And I I can relate as well to the whole like bacon fanaticism. It's such a like joke and we turn it into our own joke, right? Like about eating loads of bacon, putting it in chocolate and uh, on your car, on your body, anything like that. It's just because it's so preposterous. And I think the, the genesis of that is that we've been told that things like butter and bacon and coconut oil and avocados and other things that are fatty or have saturated fat would kill us and give us heart disease for so long. And now it's kind of this like, ha ha, like we can eat bacon and still be healthy type thing that I think the paleo people have going on. And it, it, it's kind of problematic though, because if we want this message to go mainstream, and I think vegans and paleo people can agree, we need to focus on the real message which is i think i think the real message is that it all starts with plants not that it all starts with with bacon or meat or anything like that and if you ask most people especially the the leaders of the the paleo ancestral movement what are the fundamentals to this dietary regimen it would be we should be eating in the way that humans used to be eating in a natural world it's not like going to mcdonald's and just ordering six patties without the buns, (laughs) like some people, and I, I think the main problem, like PR problem with, with both vegans and paleo is that it's a joke to the rest of the world, right? So, or how is the vegan community addressing that? How do you take this message of health and push it into the mainstream?
1: Uh, from, from the vegan point of view, you mean, or, or plant-based message? Well, I think that, um, a couple things, I mean, everybody, you know, every kind of sort of health proponent in the vegan or plant-based community has a different strategy for that. Yeah. And, and their personality, you know, lends itself to a different presentation. I mean, on the one extreme you have guys like Durian Ryder and like, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's very, <laughs> he hasn't attacked me yet
0: for all I know, but we'll see. But,
1: you know, he's very, I just interviewed him last night for my podcast and you know, he, he loves the controversy and mm. whereas like, I'm more about trying to build a bridge and and I'm trying to think about, you know, the average person who, you know, might not tune into a vegan related podcast, but might tune into yours and, and might be open to the idea of, you know, thinking about things a little bit more differently. And the truth of the matter is whether you're paleo, whether whatever you're doing, you're probably not eating enough plants in your diet. And I'm not an anthropologist, so I, couldn't, I can't testify to how we actually used to eat. I would imagine that it had a lot to do with where you live. I mean, if you're an Inuit Eskimo, you're going to eat differently than a guy who's living on the, the Great Plains, right? But I think that for the most part, I would have to imagine that plant foods were more readily accessible than animal foods. Animal foods required a lot of energy to track and, and kill. And it would, I would imagine, would be a luxury to eat. And those animals were probably not very fatty. So the animals that were being eaten at that time were very different than the animals we're eating now, whether, whether they're grass-fed or factory-farmed. And what we what's happened is we've just gotten so far away from what's natural, right? Yeah. You go to the grocery store and suddenly, you know, every grocery store is the size of Walmart. And why is that? It's not because they're selling more apples and lettuce. It's because every aisle in the middle is packed with these processed foods. Yeah. Crazy amounts of processed foods. That's what we're eating. And you know, if people want to learn more about like what's behind all that, they should read a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat. Which I don't know if you've read that book, yeah. but it kind of goes into the big food industry and how they spend a lot of money and science to specifically devise foods that activate the pleasure centers in our brain, and that creates an addictive response that keeps us going back, much in the way that tobacco companies kind of manipulated their product to enhance the addictive nature of the cigarettes that they were selling. And there's a lot of parallels there. So when you you start to look into this stuff, then you start to feel like you're some crazy radical conspiracy theorist. But you really have to look at who's profiting from these marketing messages that we're being bombarded with everywhere we go, whether it's the poster for drinking milk in the high school gymnasium or the label on the Snickers bar. That's the big statement on the side of the Snickers bar that says it has five grams of protein as if that's, it's suddenly it's a health visit or something like Mm -hmm. that. So it's incumbent upon everybody to educate themselves, learn how to read a nutrition facts label and, and ask the hard questions and empower yourself so you can make a better choice for your health.
0: Yeah. This is so fascinating. And that's a great read also for any of you who haven't read that, check check that book out. But so one of the things that I've noticed, and there's been a lot of talk about this recently in the, in the paleo community, is you walk into a place like Whole Foods, and it's kind of problematic. Even though paleo has been growing exponentially in terms of popularity, it's been tough for people to develop products around it. It's been tough for these food marketers to get in there and be like, slap a, a label on it and be like, this is paleo, buy this because you're paleo because it's, it's difficult to do that with proteins and a lot of fats. But when it comes to taking carbs and marketing those, like a lot of things are vegan just because they don't have something in it. Right? So you mm-hmm. see this explosion of a lot of companies that are saying this food is, is vegan or gluten free. This is another, you know, they've caught to that. There's a lot of junk food that's gluten free. What do you recommend to folks who are out there in this minefield? How, how do you navigate that and get get away from those super processed, you know, vegan or plant based foods that are absolute junk?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think I think you just buy whole foods. You yeah. buy real food. You know, you you buy you try to buy most of your foods that don't have a nutrition facts label on it, and then you look at the nutrition facts label, and it has if it has things on it that you can't pronounce or you don't know what they are, then there's a good chance that that's probably not an optimal choice for you. Yeah, I mean. That's really, in the most general sense, you know, what people should begin with. And I think that if they started to wrap their brain around the idea of getting a lot more vegetables in their diet, you know, if you if people did one thing different, which is to start their day with a blended drink of spinach and kale and fruit. I mean, I don't know. We may disagree on some of these things, but like, if you did instead of having waffles or pancakes for breakfast or something like like, just make a one simple change. And then pay attention to how you feel. I mean, I think what people say to me all the time is, what do you eat? You know, like, what do you eat before you work out? What do you eat during your work? What do you eat after? And I'm like, well, I can tell you all of that, but you have to figure these things out for yourself. And that means that you have to take personal responsibility for your choices. It's not about a guru or what I say or what Abel says or what or whatever. Whatever, you have to do that for yourself. And that involves developing a greater relationship with yourself. It means being able to pay attention and monitor how certain foods are making you feel and adjusting your diet accordingly to maximize your energy levels and your vitality.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I love that you said that too, because our advice is is so similar or what we, you know, when people come to us and they're just like, what should I eat for breakfast? Generally, I'll say, instead of pushing all this stuff out, instead of saying, well, don't eat an egg McMuffin, it's, Put something in there that is a healthy habit, that gives you momentum like you were talking about before. And what I say there is a green smoothie with lots of dark leafy greens and some fruit and usually some flax and chia. And if, if people just take that one step and do it daily or somewhat daily, you know, a few times a week, you'll find that all this junk or a lot of this junk is completely pushed out because you feel so great that you're not all of a sudden reaching for the Oreos or the other nonsense that's just around. You just don't need it anymore.
1: Right and there's another thing that's that's kind of interesting and it gets kind of technical but and there's a it's becoming a more popular kind of scientific inquiry that's going on right now which is this idea of the microbial ecology in your GI tract yeah. and how important that is in terms of maintaining your overall health but also there's evidence to suggest that is it's impactful in terms of your cravings right so everybody you have like 10 times the number of microbes in your gut than you have cells in your entire body. Yeah. And maintaining proper health with this microbial ecology is critical to your health. And when you take in, I talk about this in my book a little bit. So. When you take in foods that aren't good for you, you're changing that microbial ecology. You're putting microbes in that are different from the foods that you're eating. Those start to propagate, and then that start then those microbes are starting to demand more of that kind of food because they require that kind of food to live. So for example, the example I always use is Morgan Spurlock and Supersize Me, which I'm sure you saw that movie, right? Most people have seen that movie. So I don't know if you remember, but so so for those who don't know, this guy decides he's going to eat nothing but McDonald's for 30 days and see what happens. And prior to that, he's living with his girlfriend who's a vegan chef, he's eating a pretty clean diet. So this is a pretty radical departure from him. So first couple days, he's eating McDonald's, like he's on day three and it's starting to catch up to him. And it's literally making him sick. There's one scene where he's, he drinks a, like a milkshake and he has to throw up out of the, so the window of the bar. It's so <laughs> gross. Right? And he's just like, I'm never going to make it. How am I going to do this? And then you fast forward like two weeks later and you see him getting out of bed and he's like, I have a headache. I feel horrible. Like I can't like, you know, I can't, I can't think straight. And then he goes to McDonald's for his breakfast and he gets his sausage McMuffin or whatever it is that he eats. And then he's like, I feel awesome. Like suddenly he feels good. Like he's, he's developed this addiction to this food where he doesn't feel good until he eats it. And I would submit that a big part of that is because the microbial ecology in his gut has changed. He's replaced his healthy microbial ecology with this ecology that thrives on McDonald's food. And uh, there's the leaf blower again, of <laughs> yeah, course. There it is. But now he needs that in order to feel good. And yeah. so if you extrapolate that idea out, um, there's actually studies that say that people that are addicted to chocolate, like just can't stop eating chocolate, have a different microbial ecology than people that can take or leave chocolate. And so when you start to think of it in those terms, it's kind of a trip because you think that you are your thoughts and that you're controlling your mind and you have domain over these things. But then you realize, wow, these things in my gut actually are playing a role in what it is that I'm craving. Well, let me eat a bunch of really healthy food, a bunch of vegetables and plants and dark leafy greens and all this kind of stuff. And over time, you'll start to crave those foods. Why? Because you have replaced your microbial ecology with a healthier version.
0: Yeah, and that lends to momentum, doesn't it? Of course, (laughs) it it really does. It's it's
1: we all. I mean, here's the thing: we all know, you know, we all know what's not good for us and what's good for us for the most part, right? Like we can argue a bit, quibble over certain things, but but why do we keep making the bad choice? It's like there's that powerless moment where we just instinctively grab it, or the car finds its way driving into the drive-through, you know, no matter no matter what our brain is telling us. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we override that? You know. How do we overcome that addictive knee-jerk response? And if you can master that, then you're free.
0: Yeah. So can I? I would love to ask you more about this, just because of your your personal experience. You've been addicted to alcohol in in mm-hmm. your past, and you were also still. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Once addicted, always addicted. But for a lot of people, they they argue that that a food addiction is just as, or maybe even more powerful than you know addiction to alcohol or certain drugs or wh- what have you behaviors in some cases what would you have to say to someone who says that they and are absolutely convinced that they are addicted to bad food
1: well i think first of all that that word gets thrown around like yeah you know sort certain- nonchalantly like oh well I can't do that I'm addicted to cheese or whatever and sure. it's, it's not a casual sense and I'm like well are you really addicted or it's just that's an easy way to say like you know I'm not interested in being healthy so the first question is is it truly something you are powerless over or are you just kind of being a puss you know yeah. so and there's a difference so some people are just they just don't want to change and they're not willing to get uncomfortable a little bit like because if you want something good in your life you have to sacrifice a little bit for it. I mean, that's the reality. Like, good things come at a price. So, But then there's the person who truly is powerless and has a really hard time and has done everything and can't overcome it. And so I think the first thing to do is to kind of flip your perspective. Instead of looking at it from a perspective of, you know, I can't eat this or I need to get rid of this, shift your focus on what you can eat. Start eating healthier things. And I think the more that you start to do that, it's like we were talking about earlier you will begin to shift those cravings and yeah. and if you can be if you're willing to get uncomfortable for a number of days or maybe even a number of weeks and really deprive yourself of that one thing that you're craving and you can you will you embrace that the suffering that very well may come with that I can guarantee you that you will get onto the other side of it. And then that, like I said earlier, then you really can free yourself of it. But you do have to change your microbes. You've got to reprogram your thoughts and rewire those, those cemented pathways in your brain that are messaging you to grab that thing that you know is not serving you. So, yeah, it, it's, it's possible. It's not just possible. It's very, very doable. But, you know, you have to make the commitment.
0: Yeah. And it's not something that you're powerless over in most cases, even if you think you are. For um, alcoholics, there's obviously a community there. I'm I'm sure you've you've talked to a lot of people about your experience and and their experience as it relates Mm -hmm. to that. Are there best practices that you can pull from people who have had success and been able to kick these negative habits out of their lives? Is there something you can pull from there and apply to food?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the principles that i apply to my diet are are really just things that i that i learned in recovery you know they're very powerful principles not just for sort of dealing with a drug or alcohol addiction but they're like they're like rules for life that i think are very powerful and effective and i mean the first and foremost one is the one i already mentioned of just sort of staying in the day or staying in the moment of what yeah. you're doing i think that that's huge and i think the other thing is being compassionate toward yourself you know and i think that you know, with in recovery, it's like it's very black and white. You're either like drinking and using drugs, or you're not. There's no like middle ground where you can do a little bit. And you know, what I mean, yeah. So it's different with food because you have to eat, right? So contextually, it's it's you have to take a different approach. And I think what happens with people that trips them up is they set themselves up for failure because. They try to do it perfect right out of the gate. So whether you're trying to adopt a plant-based diet or a, it doesn't matter what diet it is, paleo diet, whatever it is, you know people will say, "Okay, I'm going to do this." They're a week in or they're two weeks in, and then they they have a weak moment, and you know they, their face is buried in the areas or whatever, and then they go, "Well, that was obviously that's too hard. I can't do it. Like I failed. You know, I failed." And then then they just throw the baby out with the bathwater and go back to what they're doing, saying it was too difficult. And I think a better, healthier approach is to be compassionate toward yourself and say, "Okay, I did that. Like, let's look at what led to that. That was interesting. Mm It's not a big deal. So I had some ice cream. So let's adjust. Like, let me look at the triggers that led me towards that. How can I I, uh, approach it better next time and just move forward? you know, and, and give yourself permission, like it's it's okay, you know, and I think that that happens with vegans a lot, because they, they, they eat meat or they eat dairy or something like that in a short period after time, and then they say, well, it's too hard, whereas it's a process, we have to acclimate to a new way of eating, no matter what that, that new way is, your body needs to adapt to that, and it involves you not being so hard on yourself in the, in the process.
0: Yeah, and as time goes by, it's it's so cool, one thing that definitely happened to me was, was food that used to draw me in, you know, walking down the middle aisles of the grocery store, for example, all those processed junks, chips, cookies, popcorn, the rest of it. That's just, you know, full of GMOs, fake food, chemicals, all this stuff. To me, that doesn't look like food anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't draw me in. I don't, I don't feel an emotional response at all when I see that stuff, because it's just something that is foreign to me now. And, but
1: how did you get to that? but how did you get to that place? Like how did you go right. from where you were powerless, you know, you just had to grab the popcorn or whatever it is to the place that you're at now?
0: I think it's really about what you you were talking about. It's about that change within your body, whether it's your your gut, which definitely plays into it, or how everything works together. What I really think it is 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 more your subconscious. We think that we have so much control over our willpower and habits, but what really mm-hmm. controls it is the subconscious. How are you existing in, in your own environment and what is the mental game that you're playing with yourself, right? When you do something for a long period of time, it becomes who you are, part of your identity. So part of my identity is not eating Doritos. And so when, when that becomes not just a choice that you're making, but a part of you, you don't have to make that choice anymore. And that's, that's kind of cool because then you retain that willpower to be able to do a an, an, an ridiculous endurance event. Or something else that allows you to achieve something positive instead of using all, up all of your willpower to not do something negative.
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, because well, when you start, your identity is, I'm the guy who eats Doritos and it's impossible for me to stop eating them. And you have to understand that you may think that that's true, but that's just a story that you're telling yeah. yourself, that you're putting energy behind. And you have a choice to tell a different story.
0: I love that. That's so cool. I can't yeah. believe it, but we're just about out of time Rich, before we go, why don't you tell folks, number one, about your awesome podcast? I encourage everyone to check it out. I've listened to it for a while. It's always on the top charts, close to, to mine and Jillian's, unfortunately. But, um, it's, usually,
1: it's usually a notch or two below Abel's show, but <laughs> not too hard to find. It's, yeah, it's the Rich Roll podcast. And uh, much, like, much like your show, it's similar. I do long form interviews with all kinds of people I've had. Doctors, nutritionists, world-class athletes, entrepreneurs, and the sort of consistent theme. Although, you know, I'm a plant-based guy, I don't just I have all different kinds of people on. I'd love for you to come on the show.
0: Thank you. I would love that.
1: We just have a we have a a long-winded, you know, mature conversation about health and wellness in general. And and a lot of it goes beyond food into you know, how can the, the, the real theme is. How can we access and unleash a better, more authentic version of ourselves onto the world? And that's my goal. And so yeah, I mean it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, when did you start yours?
0: We're coming up on about it'll be two years in February. Oh about two years, yeah, 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 So I started
1: mine in December. So I'm a little bit newer to the game, but yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. And the best part about it is I get to meet really cool people and sit down and have a long conversation with them. And you know, how often do we get to do that? Yeah know, in this stay and age. I love That's, it. It's been cool.
0: mm-hmm. And where else can people find you? Obviously, Rich Roll, the podcast on iTunes, mm-hmm. but what else are you working on?
1: So I have, uh, you can go to my website, which is richroll.com. That's where I host the podcast, and I've got a blog there and a lot of other information about what I'm doing. I've got some products, I've got the downloadable e cookbook, and you can see all that stuff there. For people that are interested in learning more about how to eat a plant based diet, whether you're even if you're paleo and you just want to figure out how to get more plants into your diet, I recently launched an online course called The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which you can find on MindBodyGreen. It's like three and a half hours of video content with an online community and production value is really high. It's really cool. All the videos are broken up into like five or 10-minute little segments that are very subject-specific, so people can check that out. And uh, I'm on Twitter, at, at Rich Roll and uh, i've been traveling around doing a bunch of speaking gigs so you can find if you follow me on twitter i usually tweet like where i'm gonna be and stuff like that so so yeah that's basically you know i'm on facebook and all the other usual places
0: yeah you're not hard to find these days Yeah. Awesome. That. Well, Rich, thank thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, I know that a lot of people have been really interested in, in hearing a paleo talk to a vegan or a plant based person, yeah. and hopefully uh, we, what, didn't we, we didn't disappoint them with lack of a- fireworks or anything like that.
1: Yeah, we should get in a fight. Should we go? Should we take them
0: out of <laughs> yeah. a fight? Maybe we should start a fight. I have a bone to pick with you, Rich. Yeah, cool. <laughs>
1: No, I appreciate the time. Oh, I forgot. I did write a book. I should be better at promoting Yeah, there you sure. go. <laughs> I like a book, and I forgot to even mention I have a book. So yeah, I have a book called Finding Ultra. It's really just an inspirational memoir of, of my story. There's a lot of plant-based nutrition stuff in there, but it's really, if you want to just read a story of personal transformation and kind of how I went from where I was to doing the crazy endurance races that I've done, which we didn't even get into, um, you can check that out. It's on Amazon, wherever you
0: buy books. So. Awesome. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much once again for coming on. I know a lot of people will will love this, and you're welcome anytime.
1: All right. Thanks, Abel. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing, and I I can't wait to get you on my show.
0: Thanks, man. All right. Cool. Peace. (laughs) Peace. Before you go, don't forget to grab your listener discount on our 30-day fat loss plan in this plan we share 30 days of mouth-watering wild diet meal plans that are designed to help you drop fat with real food the meal plans are paleo friendly easy to make and literally the meals that my wife Allison and I eat just about every day and night to stay lean fit and happy in the program you'll get the most effective method of meal and nutrient timing to best stimulate fat loss and muscle recovery the truth about how much protein you really need for your body type 30 days of specific healthy fat-burning meal plans as a done-for-you nutrition strategy, and tons more. If you check it out today, you'll even get a listener discount. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. That's the number 30, D-A-Y-S. Once again, that's fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat-Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or Fat Burning Man. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news: you can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in. FatBurningMan.com I'll give you a second to type it in FatBurningMan.com and you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man Better yet, enter your best email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.